Well, happy Father's Day to everyone, especially to the fathers. Today is a very special day. I don't know why Australia celebrates it on the 3rd of September, but we do, and the rest of the world celebrates it early in the year. But we're not too late to celebrate Father's Day. Like, like what Seth says, it should be an everyday thing. But today is a special day nevertheless, and today's message is titled, Building a Legacy. Building a Legacy. And although I prepared it for fathers in mind, but really is relevant for all of us. So don't switch off if you're not a father. This will bless you as you hear the Word of God, whether you're a father or not. Building a Legacy. What is a legacy? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines legacy, the word legacy, as this. A long-lasting impact of particular events, actions, etc., that took place in the past or of a person's life. What do you think of the legacy of someone, let's say, when I name some people, how about Albert Einstein? What do you think of when you hear Albert Einstein? It's a genius. Maybe for those of us who are a little bit more informed, E equals MC squared. Science, he's a great physicist, he's a great inventor. He's an amazing man, brilliant genius. What do you think of when I mention the name Steve Jobs? iPhone, iPad, iWhatever, you know, the nemesis of the Android, <laughs> against Samsung, LG, Galaxy, and all that. What do you think when I say the name Adolf Hitler? Ooh. World War II? Yeah, yeah. What was that? German, Nazi, Holocaust, racist, anti Jew, murderer, butcher. Artist. Artist. That's a new one. Are we talking about the same Adolf Hitler or your neighbor? <laughs> I need to check on that one. I didn't know that one. But here's the truth we all have a legacy. Is it a good or bad? Isn't it? The big question is, what kind of legacy are you building now? Some of us might think, oh, I'm on track for a good legacy. But even then, a good legacy is still not good enough. Why? Because a good legacy can only last you for generations. Only a godly legacy will last you for all eternity. What kind of impact are you making in the heavens? What kind of impact are you leaving in all eternity? Today we will unpack a psalm that offers us a roadmap for building a good, not just good, but a godly legacy. Psalm 128, if you're turning there, we'll read the entire psalm, 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you come and speak your word in a powerful way to all of us who are fathers, for the, all of us who are spiritual fathers, for all of us who are grandfathers and would-be fathers, but not just that, for all of us in your own way, come and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. This Psalm 128 isn't a prayer like most other Psalms. 
for the most part it isn't. It is actually instructive for how we should live in order to build a good godly legacy for the people that we love. It describes the kind of people who will receive God's blessings for themselves, their children, and their children's children. And then at the end, God's Word leaves us with a choice. What kind of people will you be? Fathers, will you be the kind of father who will build a godly legacy? Leaders, spiritual fathers, will you be the kind of leader who will leave a legacy that will outlast your lifetime? That's the question of this psalm. And as we hear it, God is asking us that question. Today, I just want to unpack this psalm and break it down into three different points. If you're writing notes, here's a good thing to note. Three points. The first one is this. The foundation of a godly legacy. The psalm begins with this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. Blessed. Blessed. What? is the meaning of this word blessed. When most people read blessed, we think it's wealth, it's health, and it's all the good things. Yes, it is all that, but it's not just external things, but also internally as well. Some other translations for the word blessed in the Hebrew, when you bring it to the English, it goes along like this, happy, joyful, contented. It is on the inside as well. How many of us know that it's possible to be wealthy, to be healthy and unhappy. How many of us know it's possible? How many of us are sitting to someone next to that, like that? No, don't raise your hands. <laughs> they might well be your spouses. We know it's possible. To be blessed by God means not only will things go well with you, but you and your soul will be well as well. Amen. That's what it means to be blessed. And what does it mean then to fear the Lord? It's simply this, it means to have respect, to have reverence, and to have awe for God. It's to be absolutely convinced that God is immeasurably more awesome than we dare admit, and indescribably more beautiful than we can ever imagine. After coming to Western Australia, I started to fall in love with this hobby of going to visit and to see water hitting rocks. What do I mean by that? You know, in Western Australia, there's so many places where you see big, massive waves of water hitting rocks and going splash, and it's so beautiful. The gap in Albany, up there, the bridge, the natural bridge in Geraldton, when you go to Dunsborough, when you go to Yellingup, when you go down south, you see all these amazing sights of water splashing rocks, and it's beautiful. And so what do people like to do? They like to go to the rocks and like to take selfies. They like to get really close to the rocks and the water. And then they, at the same time, while you, all that is beautiful, it's also very scary, isn't it? And in some minuscule way, that describes how we feel about God when it comes to the fear of the Lord. You see, He is immeasurably more awesome, scary than we ever dare imagine. But yet in the same way, He's indescribably more beautiful. He draws you in. That's who He is. Now the fear of the Lord, for all the children in here especially, you need to understand this. The fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of Him. When I was young, I think it must be like when I was four years old or five years old, um, we would always have dinner at my grandparents' place. 
And then after dinner, we would sit around in the living room and watch TV together. And back in the day, TV was just TV channels that show you whatever they want to show you, right? You can't choose. It's not like Netflix and Disney Plus nowadays. So you just watch. And back in the time, there's this ancient thing called commercials, <laughs> where you actually watch TV and all of a sudden you have to watch a few minutes of commercials while you wait for the program to come back on. So sitting with the rest of my family watching TV was a thing. And every day we'd be watching TV and we'll be seeing commercials. And I remember this particular commercial about fresh milk. Right, so it begins like this. Now, now, don't forget, I was four or five when I watched this. So at first it begins with a nice green grassy field with lots of black and white cows. I don't know why black and white, but then that's the way they portray it. And these cows will be eating grass and then they will be drinking, not milk, they'll be drinking water. <laughs> and then the next scene is the, 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 the fresh milk that they're trying to sell. And then the next scene is a young boy around my age, and then they zoom up on his face and he's drinking a nice glass of cold fresh milk. And then he would drink it and he would smile and he looked very happy. And all of a sudden he would open his mouth in front of the camera and he would say, Moo. And at this point I will freak out, okay? Because I drink fresh milk and I don't want to turn into no cow. <laughs> so I would run into the room behind the wall, shielded away from the TV. I'll close my eyes and I'll hide and I'll run away because I was so scared. Now, fearing the Lord is quite the opposite. It's not running away from Him because you are scared or afraid. It's actually being terrified of being away from Him. The Bible shows in Exodus 20, the difference. In verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Note for parents, you want to teach your kids how to keep them from sinning, you teach them the fear of the Lord. The people remained at the distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Now at first glance, Moses seemed to be contradicting himself in here. Don't be afraid, he says. And yet at the same time, he says, well, the fear of the Lord will be with you. Is he, is he confused? No, Moses is merely differentiating between being afraid of God and having the fear of God. You see, those who are afraid of God stay away from God. Those who have the fear of God stay close to God. Those who are afraid of God ask questions like this, how close can I get to the line of sin before I start falling off? Those who have the fear of the Lord says, how can I stay close to God so that I can keep away from sin? Those who are af afraid of God ask questions like, how far can I go physically with my partner? Whereas those who have the fear of the Lord says, how can I stay pure and clean before God? Those who are afraid of God ask questions like, how much further before I get found out? But those who have the fear of the Lord says, how can I stay close and come clean? before God. There is a difference. And practically, how does that look like? And I love how this Christian author, John Bevere, puts it. He says it this way, the fear of the Lord is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. You gotta be careful about this one. Are we loving what God hates? Sin, compromise. 
Are we hating what God loves? Purity, forgiveness. And then he goes on to say this, what is important to him becomes important to us. What is not so important to him becomes not so important to us. And that is why the fear of the Lord always goes hand in hand with obedience to God and to his word. Psalm 128 verse one, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Church, do you want to walk in greater obedience to the Lord? Hello? I'm learning from Pastor Benny. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. yes. Then you need the fear of the Lord. Parents, do you want your children to walk in obedience to the Lord? Yes or no? Yes. Then we have to stop teaching them to fear us. We have to start teaching them to fear the Lord. In our world today, there are too many fathers who father without an evident fear of the Lord. There are too many spiritual fathers, too many leaders in this world today who lead without a hint of a fear to the Lord. There are too many young people today who fear what other people think about them more than fearing God Himself. Church, in this world today is in dire need of godly fathers and godly leaders who will model for the next generation what it means and what it looks like to fear the Lord. Christian author A.W. Tozer, he wrote this. He said, I do pray often. Oh God, send a revival of repentance and the fear of the Lord that will sweep through the continent that we may be spared and that we may honor thee. Will you be counted as one who will build your foundation upon the fear of the Lord? So that the revival of repentance and the fear of the Lord will sweep through our families, our church, our cities, our nations, even our world today. Amen. And it all begins with this as our foundation. Fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him. Number two, the fruits of a godly legacy. The foundation of a godly legacy. And number two, the fruits of a godly legacy. What does God's blessing look like to those who fear Him and obey Him? Three fruits I want to lay out according to Psalms. In verse two, it says this, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. So God assures us that we will be able to enjoy the fruit of our labor, our work, on one condition from verse one before. Fear the Lord and obey Him. And why is this important? Because so often it feels like we assume that Everything depends on us. Our income, our work, our success, even our children's well-being. When we try to carry on our shoulders what our Creator didn't meant for us to carry, we feel tired, we'll feel helpless, we'll feel stuck. Now doesn't that describe some of us today? God promises us that if we fear Him and obey Him, He will give us blessings, He says. Literally, that means goodness and supply prosperity. Literally, what that means is good things and also the ability to enjoy all these things. It's as Jesus promised us in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Notice, it will be given you. It's not you have to strive, you have to work, you have to press hard, you have to succeed. It will be given you. 
Say this to the person next to you, especially the person your spouse. God will give it to you. And turn back to the other person and say, Amen. But who does God give His blessings to? To those who fear Him and obey Him. So the first thing is fruitfulness at work. Number two, fruitfulness at home. I like this one. And your wives will love this one. <laughs> the Bible says in verse three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Husbands, when we fear God and obey Him, God will bless you so much that your blessings will overflow to your wife. And all the wives say, Amen. amen. I thought I'll get a louder amen than that. <laughs> Warming up, we'll get there. Now brothers, I want you to notice this with me, okay? There is no qualification or conditions placed upon our wives in this verse. You see that? The Bible doesn't say, oh, your wife's gotta be God-fearing. It doesn't say that she's gotta obey God. It doesn't say that she must cook well, although that's great. It doesn't say that she will massage you every night, you know, always says nice things about you. She doesn't get angry at you. She look upon you like you're a superstar in the house. It doesn't say all that. No, my dear brothers, the Bible tells us that we are the conduit of blessing from God to our wives. So the pressure is on us. <laughs> we better get this right, amen. They don't say, Pastor Dan, I can't do it, I can't do it. When you can't do it, be a conduit. That's what the Bible says. The blessing is not from you, the blessing is from God, but you be the conduit. It depends on you. And it flows to our wives, amen. Uh, in this season, I just wanna quickly have a aside. In this season, we're having four, four weeks of fatherhood workshops that will help us to be a conduit of blessing to our families, our wives and our children. You wanna be a bigger blessing to your family? Attend this fatherhood workshop. I'll be there, I'll be there. And I'll be there to learn together with you. Those of us who often feel like we don't need help are the ones who need help the most. And wives, for once, I give you permission to sign up on behalf of your husbands. <laughs> Go on to FCC.live now, what's happening, and click on register and sign up your husbands. Husbands, I want you to know, do this not for yourselves. We do this for our wives. We do this for our children. We do this for our next generation. Because God is seeking to raise up a generation of godly fathers who will love God, fear God, obey God, and shape this next generation for Him. Yeah. Come on. So sign up for it. It will bless you. Even if you can't make it all for all four, make it for a few, whatever you can, on Thursday nights. Wives, free up your, your husbands. It will bless you and your family. I believe so. So I'll see you guys there. Now back to Psalm 128. The Bible doesn't say, it doesn't mean that our wives can only stay in our homes. <laughs> Amen. It's not prejudice against women. Women shouldn't go and work. No, 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 no. In fact, in ancient Jewish context, a good wife is both invaluable in the home and outside the home. You don't believe me? Read, read Proverbs 31 carefully. I tell you, the woman who is being described in, in Proverbs 31, it tells us this in the middle, it, it says that she does a trading business. She runs a business, my friends. Woo. 
It says that she buys fields. She buys properties, my friend. Woo! That describes some of the ladies in here. I know that. So when, the Bible's not saying women should only stay at home. Please don't, don't hear the Bible wrong. But in this specific context, the Bible tells us that our wives' fruitfulness will also be included within the home. And in ancient society, this means that she will raise good children and she will cook great food. Pastor Betty, woo! I also, woo! Now these may feel like menial things for us today, all right? But in those times is a way of saying she will be a superstar. Husbands, turn to your wife now and say, you are a superstar. And wives, turn back to your husband and say, you're not too bad yourself. <laughs> it is nevertheless Father's Day, okay? All right. Fathers, when you fear and obey God, God will grant you fruitfulness at work, but God will also grant your wife fruitfulness at home. And thirdly, He will grant your children fruitfulness in life. The third thing, fruitfulness in life. Verse three goes on to say this, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. What does that mean? Now, olive trees are known for resilience and longevity. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being able to go to Israel. And one of the places that I visited was the Garden of Gethsemane, where the, where the place where Jesus prayed a few hours before he went up on the cross, also known as the Mount of Olives. And if you haven't realized, the name describes it. It's a mountain full of olives. So I went into the Garden of Gethsemane trying to look at some of the olive trees and maybe hope to find the one that Jesus knelt and prayed at. But it's full of olives. And scientists recently did a carbon dating on some of the olive trees in that garden, and they found the oldest tree to be almost a thousand years old. Olive trees are known for resilience, longevity, and strength. So God is promising that your children will grow strong and remain resilient, amen. Parents, you and I have no clue what's gonna happen in the future of our children. There will be a time where we will be no more and our children will be left by themselves. And we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. Maybe at some point a global climate crisis will hit so hard that the water levels are gonna rise and there's gonna be massive flooding. There's gonna be increasing heat. Winters will get colder, summer will get hotter. We don't know. There could be a time maybe in their generation, in their lifetime, they could be facing World War III. Mass destruction on a scale like we've never seen before, we don't know. We don't know if another pandemic will ever hit this world and then all of our children will be affected as well. COVID-29, we don't know. But God promises us this and He gives us this assurance, fear me and obey me and I will take care of your children. That's the promise of God to those who fear Him and obey Him. Another thing about olives is that it's known for their fruit and their oil. How many of us here like to eat the olive fruit? Not many, eh? You know why? Because there are not many Middle Easterners here. Most people in the Middle East love it. It's fruit and oil symbolizes usefulness and positive impact in society. Read this, Psalm 37 verse 25 to 26 about our children and about people who fear the Lord and their children. It says this, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They're always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. 
I love the last verse. Your children will not only be blessed, but their blessing will overflow to the people around them and they will be a blessing. In an alternative translation at the bottom of the NIV, if you read, if you have the NIV, it gives us another translation that goes along the line of this. And I love this translation even more. It says, others will see that your children, their children are blessed. Not only do your children know, not only will people feel blessed by being around them, but even other people can see, wow, there's something different about these people. Your children will be blessed and other people will see it. Here's a real story I read of two American men who lived in the 1700s. The first guy is a guy called Max Jukes, Max Jukes. In 1874, a sociologist, a person who studies society called Richard Duckdale, he visited about 13 jails in the state of New York in, in, in US. And he did, discovered in those 13 jails, six different people with four different family names being related by blood. He's like, that's curious, that's interesting. And out of professional curiosity, Duckdale decided to study their family line. And what he discovered was that it all, back, it all led, led back to this Dutch settler in America called Max Jukes. Now it's not recorded in his book, Duckdale's book, if Jukes was a Christian or not, but it's recorded that his life showed that he didn't fear God nor obey God. You see, Jukes was a heavy drinker. He's a man who did not work and stayed at home and avoided any kind of hard work. In fact, he had several marital affairs with different women. And after years of research, Duckdale managed to trace 540 descendants of Jukes and among them were 76 convicted criminals, 18 brothel keepers, 120 prostitutes, over 200 government welfare recipients. Unfortunately, this is what has become of the legacy of Jukes. And another American that I wanna talk about is this man called Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was born around the same period as Jukes, but unlike Jukes, Edwards was a Christian leader who authored many books and inspired countless more by his faithfulness to God. Both he and his wife feared God greatly and they taught all their 11 children how to fear God. In fact, every night, their bedtime routine is this. They'll read the Bible together and then they will pray for every one of their 11 children and bless them one by one. My bedtime routine with my son takes about 10, 15 minutes. Imagine doing that 11 times. Two hours of bedtime routine, praying for all 11 children. But that's what they did faithfully every night. They would read the Bible together and pray. A 1925, a year 1925 study of Edwards's 1,400 known descendants confirms God's promises and goodness to those who fear Him and obey Him. Among his recorded descendants are 13 university presidents, 65 professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 doctors, 75 military officers, 100 pastors and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, three US senators, and one US vice president. Friends, our God is a way maker to those who would honor Him. He's a miracle worker to those who will trust Him. 
He's a promise keeper to those who fear Him. He's a light in the darkness to those who will obey Him. How many of us say amen to that? In verse four, the Psalm goes on to say this and confirm this for us. Yes, this will be the blessings for the man who fears the Lord. Number one, the foundation of a godly legacy. Number two, the fruits of a godly legacy. Number three, the future of a godly legacy. Excuse me. Verse five, may the Lord bless you from Zion. The blessing of the Lord comes from Zion. What is Zion? Where is Zion? Zion is the physical place where the city of Jerusalem now sits on. It's one of the hills where Jerusalem now sits on. Geographically, that's what it is. But symbolically, Zion is used by the Bible to also describe where God resides. In other words, it's his mailing address. If you wanna find God, you point towards Zion. Verse Isaiah, Isaiah verses, chapter eight, verse 18, it says this, here am I and the children of the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. That's where God is. And verse five in, 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 the book, in Psalm 128, it goes on to say this. From Zion, God will bless you. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Let me quickly break it down for us. What does this mean? May you see. It means that the invisible God will make his blessings visible and tangible so that you can see it. And if you can see it, other people will see it too. May you see. And the second thing is, Prosperity, you will see the prosperity. Literally in the Hebrew, this means good things. It means that God's blessings are good. It's good for you. And then he says, of Jerusalem. It means that God's blessings are supernatural. Yes, they're from God, but they will overflow to the natural. Jerusalem is a physical, real, tangible place. It's not just waiting for you in heaven. Amen. It's available for you right now. So that's why the Bible goes on to promise, all the days of your life, now. So friends, don't wait. Now is the time to build a godly legacy. It's never too late, it's never too early. Now is the time to walk in obedience to the Lord. And Psalm 128 verse six goes on to say this, may you live to see your children's children. Now you gotta understand that this Psalm was written at a time where the life expectancy of the average man is 30 years old, 30 years old. Barely enough time to have your children grow up, much less to see your children having children. What, means, what this means is that it is not normal for people to be able to live long enough to see their grandchildren. In the natural, it is not normal. But here's the point. In the supernatural, God will bless them so much that you will have a long life and be able to see your grandchildren. That's what it means. By a show of hands, how many of us here today are grandparents? Let me see your hands. That's quite a lot. It's a blessing to be a grandchildren, a grandchildren, to be a grandparent. <laughs> I think mean, grandchildren are blessed too, you know, when the grandparents are with you. They spoil you silly. It's a huge blessing. Some of you here, grandparents, when I talk to you about your holiday, <laughs> when I talk to you about, your, about the food you like to eat, when I talk to you about what God is doing in your life, you get excited. But when I talk to you about your grandchildren, wow, I mean, your excitement takes on a whole different level. 
Your eyes are open so wide. Your, your mouth keeps talking about your grandchildren nonstop. It's like your saliva is coming out when you're talking about your grandchildren. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, grandparents. It's a blessing to be able to see your grandchildren and God gives it to you, to those who fear and obey Him. So what does all these mean? It means that God's blessings on your legacy, your children and your children's children will be so great that ultimately, even the nations and the people around them will be blessed by them. Psalm closes with this, peace be on Israel. Because of you, because you fear the Lord and obey Him. Because your blessings overflow to your children. Because your children's blessings will overflow to the people around them. Even the nation will be blessed because of you and your children. I want to conclude with this. All that psalm is amazing. And we read it with great joy and with a lot of laughs. And we say, wow. But friends, there may be some of us here who couldn't feel more far from the kind of person that God is talking about here in this psalm. Maybe we feel like we're imperfect fathers or parents. But can I say, you're not alone. We have all said awful things and done stupid things. And we've all in some way, shape, form or another failed our wives and our children too many times. We've all have our fair share of regrets, of shame or even self-blame. But you know, even though we may fail as fathers, our heavenly father never fails. He's a good father. And no matter how you feel you've done walking through the doors of church today, the Bible assures us and gives us hope that God can turn it around. There's a story of a basketball player who played in the NBA from 1986 to 2002, his professional career. His name was Dell. Most of us don't even know who this player is, Dell. You see, he played professionally, but in all his years, he's never won an award. He's never been famous. He's never won a championship. He's never been well known. But if I were to tell you his last name, you may know his last name. Dell's last name is Curry. Del Curry. Del Curry is the father of two amazing basketball players who are still playing today. Seth Curry and more famously, Stephen Curry. Seth Curry is consistently one of the best three-point shooters in the league today. Stephen Curry, don't even talk about him. This guy is amazing. He's broken every single three-point record that there is in the history of NBA. He's won four NBA championships, the latest one just a few months ago. He's won one finals, NBA finals, most valuable player. He's won two NBA most valuable players. He's known as one of the greatest players of all times today. When we talk about Dell, Dell is a person whom nobody will even want to get to know. He's one of those people whom you, you know, you buy basketball cards and then if you open that pack and you see Dell Curry, you probably just chuck it into the bin because you don't even know who he is. He's an unremarkable NBA, NBA player. No awards, no titles, no fame, no nothing. But as a father, as a basketball father, he's made a huge impact, a huge legacy in his family and to the NBA. His whole family is about basketball. 
and his, and his kids are amazing players. Now God is asking us today not to build a legacy about basketball, but God is asking us and inviting us to build a legacy about Him based on the fear of God and obedience towards God. Here's one thing I know, friends. No matter the past that you've had as a father, how much you have failed as a father, you can still build a godly legacy. No matter what kind of history you've had in your time, in your life, you can still make good if you come to the Lord. No matter what kind of legacy that has been handed down to you from your previous generation, you can still turn your legacy to God and see God turn the legacy to good. That's what the Bible promises us. And it all starts here in verse one, Psalm 128 verse one. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. God promise is for all, anyone can inherit His blessings and build a good godly legacy. And it all begins with this foundation, fear God and obey Him. So how do we begin to do this? How do we even start to fear the Lord? Fathers, I want you to begin to recognize who God is in your life. Invite Him into your life. Invite Him into your family. Learn to love what He loves and hate what He hates. Make what is important to Him important to you. What is not so important to Him, put it aside and make it not important for you. Fear the Lord and obey Him. And we'll watch a generation rise up who will not only be blessed themselves, but shape the future generations in the fear of the Lord. I would like to pray for all the fathers and the grandfathers and the would-be fathers today amongst us. If you're a father, if you're a grandfather, if you're a father-to-be, can I invite you to stand where you are? City campus as well. Could you just stand where you are? All over this room. Don't be shy, just stand where you are. Church, would you give them a big hand? Now, if you're a spouse or a family member of one of the people standing up, would you stand up as well right now? Stand up and join them. Stand next to them. Come alongside them. Hold their hands. Hold their shoulders. Go around them. It's not easy to be a father, much less to be a good godly father. It's not easy. They need prayers. They need support. They need help. So what I want to do is to bless them and I want you to hold on to them and bless them as well. Let's bow our heads as we bless our fathers. If you have a father who's near you and you're seated down, would you just stretch your hands towards them? Let's bless them. Father God, we thank you for this amazing call and responsibility that you've placed on us as fathers. What a great privilege it is to be able to be called into that place where we can shape not only our families, but the next generation. We don't wanna take it lightly. We don't wanna take it easily. But God, we say that this is heavy. It is not easy. The task you've given us so many times, God, we've failed. We wanna make it good, but we don't have in us what it takes to make it good, to turn our people, our children, and the people around us toward you. Right now, Lord Jesus, would you give us the strength to be able to do so by your grace, by your power, by your authority. I bless you fathers, I bless you grandfathers, I bless you fathers-to-be. I bless you even spiritual fathers who are seated all around the auditorium. That God will give you the fear of the Lord and an obedience towards Him like never before. That you will be blessed at your work, 
Your spouses will be blessed in their homes. Your children will be blessed wherever they are. And the nation and the people around you will be blessed because of you. So may God give you the strength and the grace to be able to do so by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the fathers say, Amen. Amen.